turn in your scriptures this morning to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48, we're going to look at. It's page 853, if you use your Bible there in the pew, uh, page 853. Matthew 5, verses 43 to 48. And as I looked over these verses this morning, I could not help but think how appropriate for just for this week, even just for today. Just amazing. Verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. We have spent the last five weeks looking at some very practical lessons and again, I'm going to ask you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5 this morning. Matthew chapter 5. In these past five weeks, we've dealt with anger. We've dealt with lust. We've dealt with divorce. We've dealt with oaths and lying. And last week, we dealt with retaliation. Five very practical weeks of preaching. Five weeks of sharing with you some practical ways to live these principles of righteousness out. The standard that God has set before us. And today, we look at the last of those. We'll continue in the Sermon on the Mount, and it sort of goes a, a little bit different direction. But this part of the sermon sort of ends and we begin to look at a, another section of it next week, but how do we tie all of those together? How do, how do we tie this thing of anger and lust and divorce and, and telling the truth and, and not retaliating? Well, today sort of takes all of those words and ties them together, and if we can get the word down today that we're going to talk about, all of those others will fall into place. They'll all fall into place if we can get this one down. If there's love, there'll be no problem with uncontrolled anger. If there is love controlling us, we'll not be dominated by lust. If there's love controlling us, divorce will not even be in our vocabulary. If we are living the principle of God's love, we'll not try to get even when wrong. If we're living and we know God's love, hate will be crushed and retaliation won't even be a thought. Several weeks ago in the Lancaster paper on Sunday, there was an article about two young ladies from Millersville University. It wasn't about their studies. It wasn't really about them going to Millersville. The thing it was about, it was about these two young ladies who I believe showed what love really is. 
That article went on to say that those two young ladies would go every day and buy coffee and pastries and donuts, and they would go into the city of Lancaster, and they would begin to look for the homeless men and women who live in the city of Lancaster. And they would begin each day to give them breakfast before they went to their class at Millersville University. I was amazed as I read that article. Both of these girls, they went on to say, were Christians. They knew Christ as their Savior. And they were living out the principles that we're going to talk about today of loving. Now those homeless people weren't necessarily their enemies, but they were living out the principle of what love really is of caring more for others than ourselves. When I read that, Eric, I, I thought back to my college days, and you know, when you're in college, you don't have a lot of extra money. But I began to look, that article went on and shared with what those girls spent on a weekly basis to meet the needs of the homeless people for breakfast in Lancaster. I was amazed at the amount of money they put out. I thought to myself, that's really what love is all about, isn't it? Let's pray. And then we're going to look at this portion this morning. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for the opportunity to be here. Lord, this has been a difficult week for so many in our ministry, for so many outside of our ministry who live in the surrounding areas. Lord, all of us this morning, even as Pastor John and, and Jamie have prayed, all of us, Lord, know of family and friends who have lost a lot of possessions. And even some lives have been lost this week. Father, we know that You are the great Comforter. Lord, thank You that when You went back to heaven, You did not leave us comfortless. You sent the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, to live inside of us as we come to know You as our Savior. Lord, I pray that those who've gone through difficulties this week would really sense the presence of Your Holy Spirit ministering to them, Father, today and in days and weeks to come. Father, we think this morning as we think back to the horrific day of 9-11, Lord, those pictures are engraved into our minds probably as long as we live here. And Lord, I pray this morning for those families who still grieve, grieve over lost loved ones. May You minister great grace to them. Father, even as the President this morning read at the ceremonies there in New York City from Psalm, Father, we know that there is no comfort, there is no refuge apart from You. And so, Father, Lord, I pray that America would find its comfort and would find its refuge in God. Father, I know in my own heart, after those images and And in days and weeks to come, when we realize that, Father, it was a group of Arabs, Lord, who had carried this out against us. I know the struggles that I went through personally, Lord. Today, it's not a mistake, I believe, that we are in this portion of Scripture. Father, we have Muslims all around us. And Father, they need to hear about Jesus Christ as much as anybody does. Lord, help us not to lose that perspective, Father, of reaching the world with the Gospel of Christ. That means even to love our enemies. Lord, today, make these thoughts from Your Word practical for our daily lives. 
It's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to read to us again because I just want us to get this portion of Scripture. I appreciate Jamie reading it for us, but I again want to remind you of it. It says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good, and He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do, you, do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The first thing I want us to consider this morning is the perversion of love. He says here, you have heard, and we, we know he says that often in these statements, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and your enemy. Now let me remind you, he said, you have heard, he's speaking to Jewish people, and who have they heard these things from? They've heard these things from the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders who have been their teachers. I remind you, just like you have Pastor John and myself, the pastors here, they would be the pastors, if you might be, the teachers who taught them. And so these Pharisees and Sadducees had taught them exactly this statement. Thou shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. I want to tell you, when those Pharisees and Sadducees taught them that statement, they were teaching them heresy. They were not teaching them what the Scripture truly said. The first thing, the first perversion of love was an omission. Because they said, you'll notice there, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they said, you shall love your neighbor. Something is missing. What is it? Tell me. Say it louder. As yourselves is missing. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had omitted that part of loving your neighbor as yourself. They just said, love your neighbor, period. Not as yourself. Now why would Christ in His teaching back in Leviticus, and we'll not turn there, you can look it up later, but back in Leviticus 19.18, He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Why would He add that as yourself there? I'll tell you why I did. Because I love myself. Come on, let's admit it this morning. How many of you love yourself? I think probably most of us do. In reality, we all have the flesh that we deal with and we all, we all have this, in a sense, a love for ourself. If, if, and it's easy to think this way. If I was to ask you, who is the most important person in the world? And we were truly honest with ourselves this morning. Who would you say? Me. Now, we don't like to admit that, do we? But that's, that's, come on, that's, that's the honest truth. That's what my flesh tells me. That I am the most important person, that the world revolves around who? Me. And that's easy to see. It, it, it starts with when you're one years old, you can see we had a one year old birthday party for my granddaughter yesterday, and, and you could still see that she thinks life revolves around her. 
And the reality of it is sometimes we never grow out of it. And so Jesus said, listen, you need to love your neighbor as yourself. He even reiterates that in Ephesians chapter 5 when he gives that command to us husbands when he says what? Husbands, love your wives. He didn't say period. As what? As yourselves. As you love yourselves, love your wives that same way. Why? Because Jesus knows how we're wired. That's why He just didn't say, love your neighbors. He gave us an example of that. Loving yourself. And every one of us in this room, we, we do take good care of ourselves. We do, we do care about ourselves. So that's why He adds that. We spend life focused on ourselves. My needs, my wants, my desires, what gives me pleasure, my income, my wealth, all those things. And He's saying, listen, just as much as you think about those things for yourself, you ought to be thinking about that for others. It's a total different way of thinking. But God's ways, the Scripture says, are not our ways. They're what? They're contrary to the way we think. So He is saying, love others as you love yourself. Be more focused in a sense on others. Take that inward focus and turn it outward. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had omitted that phrase. They had been teaching the people sitting there on the hillside listening to Jesus. They had simply been teaching, had been teaching just the phrase of love your neighbor and that's fine. Their standard was lower than what Christ had called for. So they were admitting that phrase. And the next thing, when we look at this perversion of love, there was not an, not only an omission, but there was a commission. Because here it says, you shall love your neighbor. Neighbor, that is an interesting word, isn't it? The Pharisees had narrowed the view of who your neighbor was. You shall love your neighbor. They had narrowed that to this. I don't have to love Gentiles. Remember, the Jews did not like Gentiles, did they? They hated them. And remember, the Gentiles, when they would take a trip from up in north of Israel and they would go down to Jerusalem, they would literally go around Samaria so they wouldn't have to be where the Gentiles. They didn't want anything to do with the Gentiles. So what the, what the Pharisees said, listen, you can love everybody who's Jewish. They're your neighbors, but those Gentiles, oh, let me tell you, they're not our neighbors. We don't have to worry about loving them. Now let's bring that where we are today. It's easy to love people who are just like us, isn't it? It's easy to love people who are white Caucasians. Look around this auditorium. You see anything else? No, we're pretty much a white Caucasian church, aren't we? How about people of different color skin? I went to a high school that was 50% African American and 50% white. I wrestled, I wrestled heavyweight. I was the only white wrestler. They called me the great white hope because I wrestled last. <laughs> and the reality of that, I was the only white guy on the team. And so as I went to high school, I learned pretty quickly, listen, that I needed to love my neighbor and my neighbor who sat next to me in algebra and in science wasn't the same color that I was. 
I learned real quick that, listen, African-American people are great. When I pastored in New Jersey, at least twice a year, we would get together with Pastor Graves and the people from Mount Olive Baptist Church for one of the greatest services of the, of the month to, or of the year to me. It was, they were an African-American church. We were a white Caucasian church and we would get together to fellowship and it was phenomenal. Their choir wore robes and their choir swayed when they sang, but man, could they sing. It was the liveliest service for us of the year. But you know, we learned to listen, our neighbors aren't like us. And listen to me, our neighbors are Muslim also. The world is much smaller. It's not so much here in Pennsylvania, but when you live in New Jersey, you don't go into a convenience store, you don't go to a gas station that you don't meet a Muslim. There are what? There are neighbors. And we have to realize that, listen, that we need to love. It doesn't matter the color of the skin. It doesn't matter the social economic status of somebody. We need to love them. That's what he's saying here. How about the tax collectors? Man, they hated the tax collectors. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they, they hated them. They taught the Jewish people to hate, hate the tax collectors. How about the Romans who were ruling over them at that time? Were they their neighbors? Yes, they were. There was not only a sin of commission, there was not only a sin of omission, but there was a sin of addition also. Because notice here, he says, you shall love your neighbors and hate your enemies. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, the preachers at that time, they had added this statement of hate your enemies. That was nowhere to be found in the Old Testament. That was not what God had written. He said that you were to what? You were to love your enemies, but there was an addition here. They were saying you should hate your enemies. This was a perversion of what God had taught. God's command was to love your enemy. But see what the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they went back and they said, well, hold it. Remember when God, when we got into the promised land, you know, we came out of Egypt and we went into the promised land. Remember that statement that God said, we're to drive the Canaanites and the Amorites and all those ites, we're to drive them out of the land. So we have the right to what? We have the right to hate anybody that is not... Jewish. We have the hate to write, we have the right to hate all those people because we had to what? We had to drive them out of the land. That was a command that God had given them, but He didn't tell them to hate. Why did He want them to do that? Because He knew that if they stayed in the land, that what would happen? They would pervert them. They would end up serving their gods. And you know what? That's exactly what happened because Israel didn't do what God told them to do. They didn't drive all of them out. And they ended up worshiping some of their gods. There was a reason that God said those things. There was a reason that God said that. But here, listen, it's not like that today. God says that we're to love our enemies. But they said hate your enemies. It cannot be found in the Word of God. Today, Arabs, Muslims, African Americans, Hispanics, listen, all of those were to love, and then our enemies. So today, as we remember 9-11, yes, it was horrendous. 
what happened. But what should we do for those who did that to us? We should pray for them, shouldn't we? And what should we be praying for? Salvation of their soul. That's what God wants us to do. What God wants us to do is to pray for your enemies. Now, sitting here today in this auditorium, probably most of us are not going to face enemies like that. They're going to take our life. But you know, sometimes people that we work with can be our enemies, can't they? They say things about us. They do things. They hurt us. And in our mind, they become our what? Our enemies. And God calls us to pray for them. In fact, then He gives us, really, He gives us some five, what I call five practical perspectives that I want us to look at quickly. Five practical perspectives of the perspectives of Jesus. In five statements, Jesus proclaims the kind of love that God has always required of His people. And the very first, the very first one there in verse 44 is simply this, what? Love your enemies. Now, we need to realize what that word love means there. Because there's four words for love. There's um, the word that means the love of family. There's the word that means romantic love. And then there's the word that means brotherly love. And then there's the word for God so loved the world that He gave His only gotten Son. Husbands, love your wives. Each of those times He uses that word agape. Agape, and it's the same word he uses here. It's not a brotherly love. It's not a family love. It's not a romantic love. This love, this word that he uses in the original language is agape. Agape. What, what does it mean there? What it simply means is that agape love always does what's best for the other person. I could give a simple definition of agape love. Agape love always does what's best for the other person. The greatest example of that, I was a sinner, condemned and on my way to hell. But God loved me. What was best for me? That He sent His Son to die on the cross for my sin so that I could spend eternity with Him. Was that the best thing for God? No, because God the Father and God the Son would be separated when Jesus hung on the cross and He yelled out, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? At that moment, for the first time in all of eternity past, God the Father and God the Son were separated. It wasn't the best thing for the God, but it was the best thing for His creation, for His Son to die for us. Agape love is always doing what's best for the other person. So husbands, when you say that you love your wives, you ought to be doing what's best for her. When I say that I love you, I ought to be doing what's best for you. When you say that you love your children, that means that, that agape love, that you're going to do what's best for them. And that's what he says here about our enemies. The Scottish reformer, George Wisehart, a contemporary friend of John Knox, was sentenced to die as a heretic. He had been sharing the Gospel and people had been coming to Christ and he was condemned to die. He was a great man of God. He had helped thousands and thousands of people in humanitarian ways and brought thousands and thousands of people to a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And as he was there, and as the executioner stood over him with an axe ready to chop his head off, the executioner began to weep. He said, I, I just can't do this. He, he realized that Mr. Wiseheart had made such an impact. The story is that Mr. Wiseheart stood up and looked his executioner in the eye and said, I want you to know this. I want you to know that before you do this, that I love you and I forgive you for what you're going to have to do. And he knelt back down and put his head on the chopping block. And that's what loving your enemy is, isn't it? What a phenomenal story from history. Loving our enemy. That's what Christ calls us to do. The second thing that Christ calls us to do is to pray for those who persecute you. The second part of verse 44 there. Pray for those who persecute you. Persecution is often the response to God's truth. You know, persecution still goes on all over the world today. Many times, many people suffer for the cause of Christ. And then sometimes, you know, we suffer from each other. We hurt each other. We say things we shouldn't. We do things we shouldn't. Sometimes we persecuted each other, even as Christians. And the reality is, what should be the response? It should not certainly be retaliation. It should be one of love. And the greatest expression of love to those who hurt you, the greatest expression of love to those who wrong you is to pray for them. And that's what God calls us to do. Not only does He say that, but the next thing He says in verse 45 is He says that we should manifest, I'm sorry, we should manifest our sonship. We should manifest our sonship. In verse 45, I'm going to read that to you one more time. Look what he says there. He says, so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven, for He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Now certainly that second part we understand. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. We saw that this week, didn't we? Now, just because, you know, I always say it like this. You know, I plant a garden and my neighbor Joe plants a garden. And when it rains, God doesn't cause the rain just to be on my garden, does He? It rains on Joe's garden too. Now Joe is an alcoholic. Joe could care less about Jesus Christ. But guess what? Joe's crops grow just like mine do. That's called common grace. Common grace. Now we have saving grace. We're saved by grace, not of ourselves. But there's common grace. That means when the person who lives next to you and who swears at you, who hates you, who plays their music loud or whatever they do to irritate you, I don't know what it is, but you know, if you have neighbors like that, they do those things sometimes. And so whatever it is, guess what? God, they, when they get up, they enjoy beautiful sunsets and beautiful sunrises. They breathe air just like you do. That's called common grace. And so what God is saying, listen, even though people hate Him, even though people don't care about God, even though they could care less about God, that God still shows them grace. So He's saying, if I'm going to be like my Father, 
If I say that I'm a Christian, I've been born again, I now have a new father, it's not the father of lies, it's my heavenly father, God. If he's my father now, I should act just like him. How do I act just like him? What do I do? I care. I love others. I pray for those who persecute me because that's what God does. We should show impartial love to all as God does. Saved or unsaved, it makes no difference. I should do what's best for my neighbor. The Sunday News and Lancaster's paper, the Sunday paper today, certainly a lot about the floods this week, but this was interesting. Virginia was reading it today and coming up. And I looked over and I saw this. Mannheim, good Samaritans bring help to town in the Lancaster paper this morning. goes on to talk in this article about people who just showed up to what? To minister to their neighbors. In fact, it talked about one of the churches there in Mannheim, and I can't think of the name of it, but I know it was when Virginia read it to me today. It was one of the Iwana churches that I used to have. And you know what they were doing? They were out what? They were out ministering to their neighbors. They were out showing love. And now today, the day as they went down the street and they said, oh, we're from Mannheim Brethren in Christ Church, as they went and they saw a house and they said, oh, yeah, we know those people. They're not saved. We're not going to help them out. But oh, look, here's some people who are saved. I think we'll help them. Here's some people who are religious. We'll help them. But man, those heathens, we're not going to care about them. Boy, they probably got what they deserve. No, God said, listen, it doesn't matter. If we're really going to love people, it doesn't matter anything about them. I'm just to show them love. That's what God commands us to do. That's how I manifest sonship. That's how I act like my heavenly father. And then he goes on in verse 46 and 47. And he says that I need to exceed my fellow man. Look what he says there. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? I need to exceed my fellow man. The standards of love for Christians should be much higher than that of the world. As Christians, we should be known for helping and caring and a helping and caring attitude to our community. On our job, people should see our love. Matthew 5.16 says, let your light, let your love shine before men. The Bible says in 1 John that all men will know we are Christians by our talk. Somebody say, by our what? By our love. Remember, love is a verb, it is an action word. For God so loved the world that He what? He gave. And listen, if I say I love you, then I ought to what? I ought to show it. Guys, let's say you say you love your wife, and what does your wife say to you? Prove it. She's not just looking for words. She's looking for what? Say it louder. Actions. I can tell her I love her all the time. That doesn't impress her. When I bring flowers, 
when I bring candy, when I take her out to eat, when I take her places, that what? That speaks volumes of love. Or when I just sit down and listen, that even speaks what? Greater love, right. And so the reality of a listen is love is action. So if as a Christian, I need to, I need to be more than just the world, then I need to go out of my way. People need to see. Even as a church, we need to be known as a church who loves people, who cares about people. That's what we should be. If we're going to show what our Heavenly Father is like, they need to see it in our actions. And then the last thing he says is, be like your Heavenly Father. The sum of all the sermon thus far on the Mount, of the Sermon on the Mount, of all Christ's teaching in Scripture is in these words right here. He says, you therefore must be perfect. What's God's standard for us? Perfection. You say, oh, we're never going to hit that. Well, let me tell you what that word perfection really means there. It means maturity. You are mature. You are mature in the Lord. You, you've reached maturity. You've reached, in a sense, God says you've grown up when you love your enemy, when you pray for those who persecute you, when you go out of your way to show love, that's how you've known you've matured in the Lord. Think about it. Think about when you raise your kids. Real quick, give me some things. When, when, we, when we want to say our teenagers finally mature, what are we looking for? Just talk to me for a second. What are you looking for? Respect. Responsibility. Obedience. Common sense. <laughs> what else? Making good decisions. Those things we say are what? When they do these things, we say, wow, they're finally getting mature. They're finally growing up. Well, what God is saying to us this morning is He knows that we've grown up, that we've arrived, that we're reaching where we need to be as Christians when we do these things. That's what He's saying. So, as Christians, how do we know when we're getting there? When we're praying for those who persecute us. When we're loving more than the world loves. When we're loving those who are enemies. When we're reflecting the love of Christ to others. That's when we know that we're beginning to mature in Jesus Christ. That's what what he's saying there. You therefore must be perfect or mature as your heavenly Father is. What's the glue that holds all of those anger and lust and divorce and, and lying and retaliation? What's the glue that's going to help us to put all those together and live those out? It's this one of love. It's this thing of love. What's the greatest commandment? It's to love God and what? Love others as yourself. The key is love. It's agape love. 1 Corinthians 13. I am patient with you because I love you and want to forgive you. I am kind to you because I love you and want to help you. I do not envy your possessions or your gifts, because I love you 
and I want you to have the best. I do not boast about my attainments because I love you and I want to hear about yours. I am not proud because I love you and I want to esteem you before myself. I am not rude because I love you and care about your feelings. I am not self-seeking because I love you and want to meet your needs. I am not easily angered by you because I love you and want to overlook your offenses. I do not keep a record of your wrongs because I love you and love covers a multitude of sins. That's 1 Corinthians 13 lived out. The glue is love. That's what helps us to not be angry. That's what helps us not to lust. That's what helps us not to think about divorce. That's what helps us not to lie. That's what helps us not to retaliate. But whenever love is not where it is, we're not mature, so we're going to do those things. That's the reality of this portion of Scripture. So, what do I want you to do? What do I want you to do? It always comes down to what do I want you to do, really. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out this week and I want you to love as God loves. I want us to go out and show the world. I want us to go out and show the community of E-Town. I want us to show the community of Hershey and Anvil and Lancaster and Middletown and Harrisburg and all the where we live. I want us to show what? That we are a people who just don't say I love you. We what? We show it. Leave here today thinking this. What am I going to do to show others the love of God? When I get up in the morning and I have my morning rituals, one of the things that I do is I do think this every morning. I think this every morning. God, and I say that, I say, pray this to God. God, First of all and foremost, I, I want to show you that I love you and because I often fail, God. But God, help me to love you today. And then the second thing I think is, God, what am I going to do today to show Virginia that I love her? I think that every morning. What am I going to do today to show Virginia that I love her? And then I start going through people that I know I think I'm going to meet today, and then I start thinking, what, what am I going to do to show Pastor John, who I see every day, what am I going to do to show, today to show him that I love him? What am I going to do to show Vicky today that I love her because I work with her every day? What am I going to do if I run into Jamie Root today to show him that I love him? Well, you know what? Hope. What am I going to do? What happens if I run into Dave? What am I going to do? What am I going to do if you know I run into Lee Beach? And sometimes I blow it. I blow it horribly. And so I got to go to God and I got to ask forgiveness and I've got to work at loving. Because I don't know about you, but I want to mature in Jesus Christ. We're not going to be perfect until we get to heaven. But we got to be working at it. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this time together. Thank You for 
just a reminder from God's love today about loving our enemy. Our enemy comes in many shapes and sizes and Lord, we, we as America could claim that the, the Muslims or the Arabs are our enemies, just like the Jewish people did. We could think back to that horrific day when those towers fell, when those people lost their lives out in Shanksville and at the Pentagon. And, and Lord, when we see those pictures, certainly it's easy to think about a nationality of people, a race of people who did those horrific things to us and to hate them. But God, you have commanded us to pray for them. You have commanded us to love them. Lord, help us as we think about those who committed this atrocity against America, Lord, that it's a reminder to us to pray for our enemies and for those who persecute us. And Lord, even give us opportunities to show love to them. I pray these things in your name. Amen.